0: Amen. So we're in the second week of a teaching series which we've entitled Death Doesn't Win. Death Doesn't Win. And this came out of uh, a, a lot of folks when I'd said what's most likely to keep you awake at night, there were a lot of folks who said there were issues about death and dying that were were things that kept them awake at night. So last Sunday I talked about death as the last great enemy and how Christ has overcome the power of death. Next week, my good friend Ian Jennings over in the UK has prepared a teaching for us and uh, that'll be a bit unusual because we'll watch it. I guess you're looking at me now anyway, but um, Ian Ian, Ian has recorded it for us, and Ian is going to be speaking on living with loss, um, because number one, he's been through that himself in the last few years, losing his wife, and number two, he's written two books actually on the topic, which are, are outstanding, and so Ian is going to be teaching for us next Sunday on living with loss, but today, I want to talk about... What comes next? What comes next? A lot of folks said, they, you you know, I stay awake at night just just, uh, wondering what's going to happen when I die. When I was in Bible college and getting ready to graduate, the summer of 1970, um, the way we did our graduation, it wasn't a big Bible college, but the graduation... um, the whole thing was a service, so we did worship and we did different things uh, and then we did the graduations and stuff uh, but but it was a service and the sur- the service was planned by what we called the student committee, the student council. There was a handful of us that had some responsibilities in that role and uh, and I was one of them, so we sat down one afternoon to discuss the the graduation service and we we planned a number of the details, and then the question came, well, there was, always, there was always a graduating student who preached at the graduation. So, the question then came up, so who's going to preach at the graduation? Now, being an incredibly helpful kind of person who, who likes to kind of, you know, fit in when I can, I humbly said, I'd be happy to preach if you like. And they agreed <laughs> so I did. So, so, so here we are. It's the graduation day, and that afternoon it's in a big tent, and there's a whole bunch of people there, the Bible school governors and the faculties, students, graduates, parents, who knows what else. They're all there, and, and we have the whole service, but I'm the preacher for the afternoon. And I remember what I preached on that day. Don't ask me what I preached on in the 51 years in between, but I remember what I preached on that particular day at that graduation. And my text was a book, a, a, a couple of verses in the book of Job, and Job chapter 19 and verse 25 I preached on, where Job says this in the middle of horrific problems, he says, I know, I, I'm reading this in the King James because that's how I preached it. He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And that was what I preached on at at my graduation. And I remember, because most of you know I try to break sermons down into points, right? And you breathe a sigh of relief if it's only three, because at least it will be a reasonable length sermon. I've got five today. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> so I broke it down. And, 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 and I, I said, you know, Job, number one, was certain of Christ's coming. I know that my Redeemer lives. He was certain. And, and, and then, then I said, he talked about the character of his coming. Jesus will come as my Redeemer. And then I talked about the consequence of his coming. And Job says this, I mean, this is gruesome, I know. Though after my skin, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And I just want to tell you this standing here 51 years later I'm still as convinced as ever of the words that Job wrote in that day because I know I know I will see God. And and, and that thank God you want to know what comes next there's the short answer I will see God. There was no question in his mind. He talked about the Redeemer. Jesus hadn't even come yet, but he said, I know there's a Redeemer. I know there's a Redeemer that's coming, and I know that because of Him, I will see God. There is so much that is a little confusing in the Bible when you talk about how things all fall into place after this life. I'm not going to talk about those I'm going to talk about the things that are absolutely crystal clear. Like John's gospel, chapter 14, where Jesus said to his disciples in verse 2, he said, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now the Bible makes it very clear, Jesus himself did, that he would come to earth a second time. But I'm not convinced that John 14, 2 and 3 just only refers to the second coming of Christ. If I go prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I will take you to be with me. Now, if I take that at face value, it is my personal conviction, and I'll, I'll leave it there. You can take it or leave it yourself. I, it is my personal conviction that no follower of Jesus dies alone. Jesus said, I will come and take you to be with me. Now, Statistically, over 100 people worldwide die every minute. So you, being a realist, may say to me, well, that's pretty crazy, Roger. 100 people die every minute. You know, Jesus can't come to each one of them individually and take them home. So let me ask you a question. Was Jesus with you when you got up this morning? Yes. No, he couldn't have been. He was with me. <laughs> right? work that one out. Work that one out. He is God. He can do stuff that our brains can't fathom. So he is in one place right with us, but it's like, you know, God's here with us this morning. I mean, I feel sorry for Integrity Church up the road because God's here. (laughs) Now, don't ask me how, but I totally believe that when Jesus said, I will come and I will take you. That every follower of Jesus is taken by the Lord himself into heaven. What happens then? What what does happen next? What comes when we die? For the follower of Christ, the believer in Jesus, it's real simple. If I'm not here, I'm there real straightforward. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 6, we are always confident and know as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So, I'm here now in a human body, so I'm not in the presence of the Lord in the sense of being in heaven, right? As long as I'm here, I'm not there. That's pretty logical. We good so far? But then verse 8 says, we're confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. If I'm here, I'm not there. If I'm not here, I'm there. Did I confuse you yet? Right, that's that's the bottom line. I know know there's perhaps a number of you who were kind of raised on the concept of there's the in-between place there's no purgatory in the Bible. There's no purgatory in the teaching of Jesus. There's no waiting place. It's dead simple. If I'm in the body, I'm not there at home with the Lord. If I'm not living in this body anymore, I am at home with the Lord. What comes next? Living with Jesus comes next. Immediately, straight away, I do want to just clarify this though, by the way, despite all the kind of uh, little stories we have and jokes we have about people arriving at the pearly gates and Peter looking in the log, um, the truth is uh, this issue is not settled when you get to the pearly gates. It's not settled upon arrival. Uh, I think I've got a reservation. Blackmore. I settled that issue 59 years ago. I settled that issue the day I gave my life to Christ and became a follower of Jesus. Eternal life for me began that day. Eternal life for you began the began the day you committed your life to Christ and became a follower of Jesus. It started then. It isn't a case of let's wait and see, it isn't a case of let's do our best and hope. It's very, very simple. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11, it says this, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Praise God. God has given us eternal life. Eternal life is not the reward at the end of the race. Eternal life is what God gives us when we put our faith in Christ, the Son of God, and whoever has the Son has life. So what comes next? Well, let me give you a few things. What comes next? Because away from this is at home with the Lord. I'm going to deviate here. I didn't put this in my notes, and I hesitate saying it, but I'm going to say it. My wife now is holding her breath. Um, For those of you who lost loved ones and some of you relatively recently, this is where faith really chips in. I believe, we do believe, we believe what the Word says. They are at home with the Lord. At home with the Lord. Done deal. Settled. Be at peace in your own spirits, not here, there, no question. So what's it like? Well, I'll tell you what it's like. Number one, heaven's a place of rejoicing. Heaven's like a party city. There's the quote of the day for you, okay? That's heavily theological for you, right? In the book of Jude, chapter 1 and verse 24, it speaks about Jesus this way, as him who is able to keep you from stumbling, right, in this life, he can keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence. Look at these two statements, without fault and with great joy. See, the Bible tells us when we see Jesus, we will be like him. So in that instant, we are without fault, But look at the next bit. And with great joy. Heaven's a place of incredible happiness. Now, when you look at that verse in in Jude there, verse 24, um, I look at that verse and I read it and I was rereading it and rereading it and I'm trying to think, who does the joy belong to in that statement? It says, he will present us before His glorious presence with great joy. And the conclusion I came to is it's on both sides. That there's great joy on our part at seeing the Lord, but you know what, there's great joy on His part at us being with Him finally. Because that was always His plan for us from before we were born. So, He presents us with great joy. The joy is His, and the joy is ours. Revelation 19 and verse 6 talks about this. John, looking into heaven, says, I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So, it, you, you, know what it's, you, you know what it's like at a wedding sometimes, and the DJ's up there and he's like, like, Come on, everybody, make some noise! You know the deal? Apparently, for some reason, I can't understand it, they had to do this in heaven too. I mean, if if they weren't motivated enough, it's like, come on, let's do this, let's hear it for the bride and groom. And in the Bible, the bridegroom is Jesus, and the bride is the church, everyone who knows Him everyone who trusts Him. And here in Revelation, John hears somebody saying, come on, everybody, make some more noise. This is a great time. The wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. So heaven is a place of celebration, like a wedding celebration, a marriage celebration. That's what heaven is like. Psalm 16 and verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You will fill me with joy at your presence for all the grief you've experienced, for the pain you have known, for the hardships you've been through. The fact is, once there, rejoicing really is the style of heaven for all eternity. What comes next? Rejoicing comes next. What comes next? Rest comes next. I love the words of Revelation 14 and verse 13, where... John says, I heard a voice out of heaven, write this, blessed are those who die in the master from now on. How blessed to die that way. Yes, says the Spirit, and blessed rest from their hard, hard work. None of what they've done is wasted. God blesses them for it all in the end. Blessed rest for their hard, hard work. I don't do well with doing nothing. And some of you are probably wired that way too. Um, I don't do well with just sitting. So I want to reassure you, if you're wired the same way as I do, I am. When the Bible says that heaven's a place of rest, that doesn't mean to say of doing nothing. We will live forever. What would that life look like? I've got no idea. What will we be doing? I'm not really sure, but when the Bible talks about rest, we will rest from things like sickness, pain, anxiety, fear. In fact, take away all the things that make this world unlike heaven and you're left with heaven. Rest. A number of years ago, uh, some good friends of ours uh, got in touch with Jill and I and said, we're going on a cruise uh, and it would be great if you'd come with us. So they told us about the cruise. Now, it was... uh, It was a southern gospel cruise, which there's probably at least three other people in here that would appreciate apart from me. So it was, you know, so they had southern gospel bands and there were concerts and they had a couple of good preachers and there was a service in the evening if you wanted to go, and different things on at Christian comedians and all kinds of stuff. Looked a great cruise. And and I looked at the information, and we kind of, Jill and I looked at each other and thought, ooh, can we really afford this? And then our friends called back and said, what do you think? And I said, well, we're still thinking about it. They said, well, we'll pay, of course. Okay, I just finished thinking about it. (laughs) That took care of that obstacle. <laughs> and uh, I had never been on a cruise before. Now, this is going back a few years, okay? So so here, here was the deal. So you know it's like when you go on vacation, you've got a zillion things to take care of, and you're kind of running yourself ragged in the week leading up to it. So when the day comes, you're, you know, to leave, you're pretty exhausted already. So we do that and we get to wherever we were going out of Fort Lauderdale, I think. And we get to Fort Lauderdale, we get on we get on the cruise ship and settle into our cabin and whatever else. And and then we are sitting on the back of the ship. um, And it begins to pull away from the harbor. Now for some of you this may be difficult to conceive. There was an era when you did not have a cell phone to take with you everywhere you went and could not be contacted every breathing moment of the day. And that was back in that era. And as the ship pulled away from the harbor, the sense of peace and rest that came over me was unbelievable. I had nothing more to think about because they were driving, right? No meals to think about, it was taken care of, and didn't even need to make the bed, not that I ever do that, but, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's like, you know, the, all the, everything, and it's like, it's peace, and, and the big thing is, nobody can get me. Here's the amazing thing, in the time we were on that cruise, the world did not end without me. <laughs> it's like, nothing collapsed because I wasn't There. But there was incredible peace as we pulled away from the harbor. And when we pull away from this earthly harbor towards heaven itself, the Bible says heaven is a place of great rest. It's all left behind. It's all left behind. The chaos of life, the strain of life, the stresses of life, all left. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9. The promise of arrival and rest is still there for God's people. God Himself is at rest. And at the end of the journey, we'll surely rest with God. So let's keep at it and eventually arrive at the place of rest, not drop out through some sort disobedience. Let's keep at it and eventually arrive at the place of rest. What's next? What comes next is rejoicing. What comes next is rest. And then thirdly, what comes next is rewards. Revelation 21 and verse 7, those who are victorious will inherit all this And I will be their God, and they will be my children. The the, the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus talked about this over and over again, that that ultimately the end of this life would be a time of receiving reward. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12. In Matthew 5, 12, it says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. In fact, in the New Testament, it talks about four different crowns that the Christian can receive. It talks about an imperishable crown. It talks about a crown of righteousness, a crown of glory, and a crown of life. You know, one of the dangers for all of us is is it's easy to be our own worst critics, isn't it? Good. One person agrees. (laughs) Maybe you all just are and you don't realize it. It's easy to get down on ourselves. And for that reason, you know, sadly there are some believers who think they're barely hanging on to their salvation like by the skin of their teeth. They're barely holding on to their faith. I just want to remind you this morning, you don't hold on to your faith. God holds on to you. So it's not about how tough you are and how much you can stick it out. It's got nothing to do with that. It's absolutely, totally different. Jesus said, you're in my Father's hand and nobody and nothing can pluck you out of my Father's hand. So it's okay, he's got us. He's got you for absolute sure. And actually, I'm going to say probably for most people, if not for everybody, God's more delighted with you than you ever realized yet. But you'll realize it in that day when He rewards you for who you are, for how you are. The reward of crowns is the picture that's given. But then, (laughs) I, I, I I, I love the outcome of that. Revelation 4, verse 2 talks about the worshipers around the throne of God, 4, verse 10, and says says this, they lay their crowns before the throne. It's like, God, thank you, but I don't deserve this. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and they have their being. God, thanks so much, but you know what? You did this. You did this. One of the things we'll be doing a lot of in heaven is worship. The fourth thing, heaven is a place of rejoicing, of rest, of rewards. Heaven is a place of reunions. Thank God. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 7. After that, we also who are still alive and are left, this is talking about the Lord coming, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. We will be with the Lord forever. Relationships, I said this last week, relationships that were special in life will be perfected in heaven. A couple of hundred years ago in in the UK, there was a preacher by the name of Richard Baxter, and Baxter, talking about heaven, said this, I know that Christ is all in all, and that it is the presence of God that makes heaven, heaven. But yet, it sweetens the thoughts of that place to me, knowing there is such a multitude of my most dear and precious friends. It sweetens the thought, knowing there is such a multitude of my most dear and precious friends. And as we go through this journey, the older we get, the sweeter heaven becomes in that way. Because the more, the longer we live, the more people we have who go ahead of us and that we are looking forward to and longing to seeing again. Thessalonians tells us, and we will then be with the Lord forever. Heaven is a place of reunions. So, when we're talking about what comes next, I've got to put this in, I've got to put this next bit in to be faithful to what Scripture says. And I've got to say this, when you're thinking about what comes next, what comes next for some people will be regrets. I'm not talking about anyone who's put their trust in Christ. You know, don't give me that stuff. Years ago, there was a popular Christian song around, and you sing, by and by when I look on his face, I wish I had given him more. It's like, I feel bad when I see Jesus. No, you won't feel bad when you see Jesus. You'll be glad when you see Jesus, and Jesus will be glad that you're there too. So, forget that stuff, okay? I'm not talking about regrets on the part of those who do not know the Lord, on the part of those who know the Lord. But I've got to say, heaven is not the universal destination. If it was, Jesus did not need to come in the first place, and Jesus did not need to die. Christ came to take our sin, to pay the penalty, Christ came to defeat death so that we would not be held by death, and so that we could have eternal life. But the reality is, not everybody gets to go to heaven. Now I know that a lot of people like to kind of soften the message nowadays and say, Well, you know what? I don't believe God's like that. Well, you need to read the book. It's like you don't get to define what God's like. God gets to define what God's like. I can't believe God would send anybody to hell. He doesn't. They choose. Sorry, that's the truth. If you reject Christ, if you choose to live without God, then God won't invade your privacy for eternity either. Revelation 20, verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. Okay, I want, you to get, I want you to get a grasp of that, particularly those of you that are believers, okay? So the books, the, the books were open, the records were open, and it says that people were judged according to what was written in the books. I want you to notice there, two books were open, at least. So if there was the record of your life in one book, there's another book in heaven. It's called the book of life. And if the first book has got the record of your life, and if the first book had in it all the, all the pluses, all the minuses, all the good, all the bad, the reality is, and you've got to get a grip of this, and you've got to really hold on to this, the second book totally overrules anything and everything that's written in the first book. If your name is written in the book of life, then heaven is yours. Book of life trumps everything else. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So when the Bible says they're judged from there, you know what? There is no judgment, though, for those that are in Christ Jesus. But verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So the record's open. You're in the book of life. Good. Record doesn't matter. Jesus died for you. The records are open. Your name is not in the book of life. There's an issue. 1 John five twelve makes it crystal clear. Whoever has the Son has life. It's as simple as this. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's as easy as that. I didn't say that. God said that. And that statement there, folks, is what, why we do what we do. It might be an oft-repeated statement that we exist to seek and to save the lost. But we do because this is what's at stake. When we're feeding the hungry, giving them food is not the end game. The end game is we want those who don't yet know Christ to come into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus. Because those who have the Son have life. And whatever we may do and however we may reach out, the reality is this, the bottom line is people without Jesus are lost and they are in danger of a Christless eternity. And we exist as a beacon of hope to share the news that there is life to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude 22 says this, you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. And our mission as a church. Underlying everything else is we want to snatch people from the flames of judgment. We want people to find eternal life in Christ. Now, you and I today know that the best life you can live here on earth is a life serving Jesus, knowing Jesus, and following Him. I want that for everybody too. But even more than that, I want them for eternity to be able to rejoice in the presence of the Lord, to rest in the presence of the Lord. I want them to be rewarded when Jesus comes back and reunited with those they love in heaven. That's why we do what we do. For all of us today, let's remind ourselves of this. I'll tell you a little story that I'm done in In the city of Villadolid in Spain, there's a statue. Christopher Columbus died there in 1506, and there's a monument to Columbus there in the city. And one of the interesting features on that memorial statue is that it has a lion eating one of the words that's printed there. There are three Latin words that are printed there, ni plus ultra. See, I knew my high school Latin would come in useful one day. Ni plus ultra, which means no more beyond. As the Spanish were building their empires, they were convinced they discovered everything there was to discover in the world, and then Columbus came and found this place. And on the statue of Columbus, the lion is eating the first word, knee, which means no. No more beyond. But the knee wasn't relevant anymore. There was more beyond. And folks, let's never lose sight of the fact. There's more beyond. There's more beyond. Fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's pray together.